Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Elixir Mix. Today we are joined by a slightly reduced number of hosts from our usual six or seven hundred. We have Lars Vickman. Hello. Hey Lars, we've got Alex Kutmos. Howdy, howdy. Welcome, Alex. This is Alex of Elixir Tip fame on Twitter, if you haven't checked that out yet. And we are also joined by our special guest, Feather Knee, who recently gave a talk at ElixirConf 2020 on working with Live View Components. Welcome, Feather. Hello. So glad to have you here. And I'm sure you're you're used to doing this because I know you had a whole slide on it in your ElixirConf talk, but I'll get it out of the way and I'll let our listeners know that Feather Knee is your real name and that you won't necessarily be taking further questions on that topic. <laughs> Uh, I can I can take further questions. It is my real name. So I was I was born on a reservation during a crescent moon, and they call that feather. That's why my first name is Feather. That is so it's actually cool. hyphenated. It's Lisa Feather, but it, most people have always called me Feather. So very cool. Thank you for sharing that. That's really interesting. Roxio calls themselves career rocket fuel for curious coders. They are some of the most experienced Elixir trainers in the business, with over five years of Elixir teaching experience. We're in the midst of a pandemic, but don't let that stop you from continuing to learn. Groxio offers remote Elixir and OTP live training courses with no more than six participants. These short two and a half day sessions give you plenty of keyboard time with your coach, Bruce Tate, co-author of the Programming Phoenix and Designing Elixir Systems with OTP. Groxio also has three extensive Elixir self-study courses available. Whether you want to learn Elixir, OTP, or Phoenix Live View, the self-guided trainings give you the videos, projects, and books you need to make your own breakthroughs. Groxio wants to be your Elixir on-ramp. Subscribe or buy a course today at grox.io. So, Feather, we are really excited. I am really excited in particular to dig into some live view conversation topics today. Talk a little bit about components, about sort of your background in React and JavaScript coming into live view. But before we dive into that, I would love to hear a little bit about just your background, how you got into Elixir and what you're doing with Elixir these days if you're using it professionally at Get Through. Yeah. I started getting interested in Elixir actually quite a while ago, probably around 2016. And I was, at the time, I believe I was working at Netflix and there were some meetups. I was involved with Elixir Bridge a little bit. Actually, before that, I was involved with Rails Bridge, which is sort of a community effort to diversify the software engineering population, which is always a thing I've kind of been very excited about. So I got involved with Elixir Bridge, which was sort of a similar effort but using Elixir instead of Ruby on Rails. Um, so basically, if you've never heard of it, it's just kind of like a weekend-long workshop for anybody who identifies female to come in and just learn how to build an app. So I did that a bunch with Rails apps and then learned about Elixir Bridge. And actually, that's how I learned or started learning Elixir and got introduced to Phoenix. And at the time, I didn't. I was mostly working with JavaScript, so I didn't really have professional kind of opportunities to work with Elixir, and kind of went on to mostly work in React and front end. And then a, an opportunity presented itself to get through, and I sort of they took a, a leaf of faith in me, having very little Elixir experience, and I jumped in. And so I've been I've been there since March. I actually started the first day of Shelter in Place, and then almost exclusively doing Elixir <laughs> since I've been there. Of course, when they when they need like sort of a React expert, I'm usually <laughs> kind of like called on to do that kind of stuff. But I've spent most of my time doing Elixir and really loving it. It's pretty fun. That's awesome. I love to hear about people like taking their first Elixir job or position, which they'll be working primarily with Elixir without like a ton of Elixir experience under their belt and just kind of reflecting that that was a positive experience. I feel like I hear that a lot. People feeling like the learning curve is like a friendlier one. 
But tell us a little bit about Get Through for those of our listeners who haven't heard of Get Through and maybe a little bit about what you guys are using Elixir to solve for there. Yeah, so I'm sure that uh, most of you know there's an election going on in the United States right now. We're kind of building up to a pretty a pretty important election. <laughs> I see Lars grinning over there. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people around the world are kind of slightly entertained by this circus. So basically, we're working towards promoting liberal causes in the United States. We we were supporting Bernie when I first started interviewing, and then of course Bernie didn't get the nomination. But uh, Get Through as an organization has supported a bunch of other causes that I firmly behind. So that wasn't a deal breaker for me at all. So basically what we do is kind of help get the word out. So right now, if you're getting texts that remind you to go vote, that's probably us. You're welcome. Because right, I'm getting so many of those texts. So I should take it up yeah, with you because yeah, I'm already sure. planning to vote and I want them to stop. No, that's, that's so cool. That's <laughs> yeah, so that's pretty much what Elixir does or what uh, Get Through does. <laughs> We're a very big Elixir house. So we actually, I think, have sucked up a lot of Elixir talent right now working on the election. So I feel really lucky to be working alongside a lot of people that are very, very strong in Elixir, just learning so much right now. That's so awesome that you are, well, I'm sure others are jealous that you guys have sucked up a lot of the Elixir talent, but that you feel like you're surrounded by other Elixirists that you're learning from. So at Get Through, are you guys using Elixir to solve like a particular set of problems, or this is just kind of like the back-end stack of choice across the organization? Yeah, well, it's basically, I mean, the hello world of, of Elixir is a chat app, right? So we're basically building the mother of all chat apps. And so Elixir is our back-end. And we have some of our front-end is in Ember, and some of it is in React. We had a little bit of consultant-itis where people would come in and kind of build something and then they would leave. So we've ended up with a little bit of different kind of different samplings of stacks, but we're moving towards live view as our front end. And and it's kind of interesting, I think, that as a person who's very, very comfortable with building React apps, I'm excited about that. (laughs) That might tell you something. That, yeah, that is something that I'm really excited to hear. I'm excited about that too. I feel like I haven't worked a ton with React professionally in the past, like maybe two or three years, but I've definitely, you know, put in, put in my time working on React apps in the past and (laughs) did some work about a week or two ago in one of our kind of client side apps on my team at GitHub that we don't do. I don't personally do a lot of work in, but I feel like I could have, you know, I pulled off this little task and it ended up involving work on our client side app, which was React and like Apollo GraphQL which I've never really worked with before, a little GraphQL on the back end. And I definitely have some opinions about it, especially as compared to LiveView. But I would love to hear your take on why, as somebody with a pretty extensive React background, you're excited to see your team move to LiveView for the front end. I think a lot of it has to do with context switching. So I've worked full stack quite a lot and then sort of realized that with the increasing complexity of sort of web apps in general and particularly the front end, it was better to kind of choose a side. <laughs> so I chose the front end and just working in JavaScript made it a lot easier to become very deeply skilled in JavaScript. And I think just working in Elixir makes it easier to become deeply skilled in Elixir. So I think when, you, when you're building your whole entire application using one language, you're generally going to end up with devs that have deep skills in a language as opposed to constantly switching context between two languages. So that's one reason. Another reason is that 
especially if you're doing a lot of prototyping, which I love prototyping. I think it's the best way to move forward with any kind of idea or experiments. I just think live view, you can just get up and running really quickly and you can kind of iterate and move forward really quickly. There's, there aren't as many sort of pre-built tools. So if you're looking for things like data tables or like drag and drop file uploaders and that type of thing, there are fewer of those things, but I think they're coming. And, and I think that like as more of those things kind of arrive, those sort of like community-based packages, it's going to be even more momentum. So, yeah. I just think generally, too, the developer experience of working with Elixir is really awesome. So. Yeah, I, t I totally agree with what you're saying about developer experience and then also just like how productive individuals and teams are able to be when working with Elixir and in particular when working with LiveView. And I think like this is something that we really hear again and again from people and teams that are adopting Elixir more and more like, well, why Elixir? Well, everybody really liked it, which is always great. And we were able to just start building, right? Start prototyping, start shipping. People were able to learn it and get excited about it. And I think especially when you have these products that, you know, need to scale really big or that have like a big impact on the world around them, whether it's get through, or I'm also thinking of the keynotes that just happened at ElixirConf EU where Elixir is being used to roll out a new 911 emergency alert system in Kenya, that developer wow. productivity is a huge, a huge selling point for Elixir because these are things that need to get shipped and need to get shipped to a lot of people and need to get iterated on quickly. And if you are doing that in, in a framework that people are able to adopt and work with quickly and easily and, and want to work with, then yeah, that's kind of like a big deal. That's really cool. I didn't know about that. Yeah, I definitely recommend. I'm sure they're not published yet, right? Because that was like last week, but that was those were pretty interesting talks. And um, it seems like Chris McCord is hell-bent on uh, delivering any feature that's missing because yeah. file uploads and drag and drop file uploads and everything was part of his, was it ElixirConf US keynotes? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So I guess that's that's coming. On the note of people outside the US and watching watching what's going on over there. <laughs> I think most people found the the fun of that spectacle ended like at least four years ago. Uh, so uh, we're, all, we're all very concerned for you. Or I'll, you speak for, <laughs> I'll speak for myself, but I'm very concerned. Please keep up the good yeah. work. <laughs> I'm concerned too. Yeah, that is totally fair. But, you know, I mentioned just now that my like very recent foray into this React, like Apollo GraphQL app, it really made me reflect on some of what you're saying about LiveView in terms of how how people are able to be productive in it and and use it. I don't want to say easily, like of course there's challenges with everything, but I'll, I'll be specific and I'll talk about what really tripped me up this past week or two in this React app. And it had to do with communicating state changes across components. So yeah. That to me, and that's something that I've encountered in React again and again and again, right? Like you sort of drill down to the level of your bottommost component and then figuring out how to kind of sanely reflect that state change across other aspects of that single page and other areas of the application. That's where I felt like there were many solutions to choose from, but all of them felt really confusing and kind of like too much work, especially with like Apollo and GraphQL. Like, okay, should I refetch queries? But if I refetch queries, it's not going to update over here. And it really made yep. me sort of like yearn for LiveView, which 
I think is really, it's such a sane way to manage the state of not just your single page, but to reflect the state of your entire system and to reflect that onto your single page. And I think that one thing that I really started to do, and this is thanks in part to Bruce Tate, who's kind of framing it this way in our upcoming live view book, you know, we want to think of our single page apps as distributed systems. And that's where Elixir really shines. And that's where Phoenix really shines and live view because we are able to hook it up with PubSub and Presence. And there are so many niceties around communicating across components and live view processes. And it just makes state management to me, like kind of makes sense. Yeah, I really agree with that. It's, it's so great having that, that sort of ease of communication between components. And so I feel like you kind of get the atomic reuse benefits of React, but also the data sharing of having an app that's a little bit more tied together. <laughs> I don't know how else to say that. A, a single parent process that shares data is is very useful. And yeah, I think I, I think, think Apollo Apollo GraphQL is actually a really a really elegant solution. I like it a lot better than Redux. I'm kind of a kind of like anti-redux a little bit, but the generally data sharing between components and the story about that in React has always just been kind of fraught with peril. And there's so many different solutions and none of them is really perfect for anyone. I think GraphQL is probably the best one, but. Yeah, I can definitely echo that. Well, I haven't done, I don't think any React, to be honest. I have done a lot of Vue in the past and we have Vuex in, in Vue land. And uh, anytime I feel like I have to reach for Vuex, like I, I shudder. I was like, oh, I'm going to introduce this, you know, this large dependency. I'm going to bring in like all this boilerplate. Like I really try to avoid it. I'm guessing it's very similar in, in React. And uh, yeah, I can yeah. definitely echo that sentiment where it's like, I don't need to bother with any of that when I'm writing a live view app. And like 99% of the time, you know, for, for what I'm doing, live view is more than sufficient unless I have some, you know, huge, large component that I need to bring in and I need a lot of stuff done for me. So I love how live view has kind of pushed the boundaries of what you could do with a server side app. And uh, you no longer need to pull down like a gig of, of node modules dependencies. It's quite nice. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, it seems to me like it just strips away one layer of, not in direction exactly, but it's just one layer of your application that you don't actually have to implement <laughs> because most most single page applications end up having a fairly complex front end and managing all the state in the back end and this just brings them so much close together and uh, since elixir is actually good at managing states because it could be a nightmare uh, i'm super curious to at some point look into how they're doing i think it's called livewire but i'm not sure there's a laravel sort of clone of the idea of live view and i'm very curious about how they're how they're making that work nicely in php yes yeah, so that is right it is livewire and i think the author of livewire has also written alpine js which is why alpine js is such a good complement for uh for live view because it's also uh, kind of like a a sister library for, for Livewire. So given that Livewire and LiveView solve similar problems, Alpine fits quite nicely for those those kinds of front-end interactions where you don't want to go to the back end, but you know, makes it simpler. So plus one for that tooling. Yeah, I was a really big fan of RxJS and kind of was playing a lot with RxJS, especially at Netflix. We kind of had a couple of in-house experts there. So it was a great place to kind of learn about it. And I, I'm just so kind of, like amazed by how much you can do a lot of the same type of stuff with LiveView with so little code and and no extra library. Like recently we we built this page that it actually it kind of kicks off Oban jobs with a sort of one of the 
data handlers to, or the, the handlers just kind of kicks off a do, an Oban job, which means that your data never really comes back in the socket. So we set up just like polling, like kind of really low-brow polling, and the page just kind of like updates over and over, even though the, the data is coming in kind of asynchronously. And I was just like, my God, this is so this is so cool. And it was so easy. It took us like 20 minutes to build that, you know, and just would have been... In JavaScript, it would have taken so much more time. Yeah, I think every time I do anything with LiveView, I'm just consistently amazed and honestly, like sometimes giddy with how little code you have to write to do the thing that you want to do. Especially, I don't know who all has worked with like LiveView's generators, but it, it's incredible. You could basically write no code. It really brings me back to the days of like Rails gen generators when that was still like so new and exciting. You can write like basically no code and you can have a fully implemented CRUD app in LiveView with, you know, fancy modals and everything updating in real time and everything super fast and lightweight. And it's just, it really blows my mind. Yeah, I think the generators are also a really useful tool for learning how to build components in a good way. Totally. So it might not always generate exactly what you want, but it's kind of good for, if you're just kind of building an exploratory app and you want to understand kind of like, what's a good way to build a modal? I think it's a good way to do that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think tracing that code was really helpful to me when I was digging in a little bit more seriously. And at least at this point, one of, I think, the very early chapters in the live book is going to be just like a walkthrough of generators as a way to explore how all these pieces fit together. But I think this is a really nice segue into the topic of live view components, which was the focus of your recent talk. So, I mean, I've got a ton of questions, but maybe kind of starting out with like at a super high level, what is a live view component and when might you reach for one in your opinion? Yeah, sure. So a live view component is basically a, a way of sort of breaking your code apart. We've all kind of written the you know monolithic code. That's that's no good. So you always look for a way to kind of once your code gets starts getting big to break it down. So especially if you're working with Live View, you can pretty much just stick everything all in one file, or you can kind of break it up more elegantly. And there's a lot of different ways to break up your Live View file, but a Live View component is a really good way. So if you're doing something like writing a modal or doing pagination, especially something that you're going to reuse or that you could reuse in other live views, then a live, a live component is, is a really good way to do this. It's, you can also just kind of you know break up your template or you can create just like a whole other live view. But what's nice about a live component is that it gives you a shared parent process. So it's just a lot more efficient than having like a whole other live view. On the topic of uh, live view components, have you played around with Surface at all or, or read about it? Yeah, I actually put that as like an avenue to explore at the end of my talk. Yeah, I've, I've definitely looked at it. It's been it's been a little while. I've been pretty heads down lately, but as I'm sure that it's, it's changed. It seemed like it was kind of rapidly evolving. But the last time I looked into it, it was it was really a great project. I'm kind of pretty impressed by it. I'm excited to see where that goes. That's good to hear. Yeah, it's been on my list of uh, things to play with in the coming weeks here. So curious if you have any pointers so I don't set, I don't mess up or trip up. Yeah. I mean, just get in and get your feet wet. That's, <laughs> that's the way to do it, right? <laughs> have you experienced any sort of gotchas or friction points when working with components? I feel like I've run into one or two, but I'm curious to hear your experiences there. Not really. I mean, I think, I think as a sort of like a React developer, it made a lot of sense to me intuitively kind of like what the thinking was behind live view. It's kind of a similar model where you kind of have this like one function that does all your rendering and then you have a bunch of data handlers. <laughs> so that to me just kind of like intuitively made a lot of sense right away. But I think there's like, there's a couple of things that trip me up. One of the things I think is 
So if you're trying to have kind of an on-change event, like this is a really common thing in React where you just have like an on-change handler and an input. And if you put an on-change, like a handler inside of an input, it's more tricky and more complicated. It's generally, I find a little harder to kind of like have a single input that's not inside of a form and have that actually handle your data correctly. So it's kind of set up to make you use HTML properly, which I think a lot of React developers abuse HTML. <laughs> We're just kind of used to it. So like, we don't need no stinking form. We're just going to put an input here and a button that does a thing when you click on it, which is actually really bad practice, but a lot of React developers do that. And um, I think YD is kind of like more opinionated about that. So yeah. And I think at first there was a lot a lot less documentation around these things. So you would kind of struggle with them and sort of be like, why does this not work? And any kind of, you know, situation where you're working with a more opinionated framework, documentation is your friend. <laughs> so it's, uh, I think the documentation is coming along and that's really helpful. Also found the Elixir form to be really helpful when I get stuck on some weird thing. Usually there's an answer in there somewhere. Yeah, plus one to Elixir forms, certainly, because even if you can't find your answer, I find that you know, if you ask a question, people actually respond like really fast in a way that is generally nice and helpful. And oftentimes it's like actually Chris McCord or Chen Sable or somebody kind of popping up <laughs> and helping to clarify, which is always nice and much appreciated. But yeah, I definitely agree with the kind of like the form snafu. I found myself like, I find myself sort of forgetting that it's opinionated in that way and always wanting to reach for just an input and then getting kind of frustrated and confused and then kind of throwing up my hands and saying, okay, fine, I'll wrap it in a form. But yeah, you're absolutely right that that is the, the right way to write your HTML and it's not a bad thing that it's opinionated in that manner. And I think it's, it's helpful for me to hear you say that. That's not, you know, that's a feature, not a bug, and it's probably a good thing. Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. Sophie, your code works without JavaScript, right? <laughs> always, always. I find it interesting, actually, that when looking for Elixir things, like trying to figure out an error or uh, investigating how to convert a data type to another or whatever, it's like a 50-50 that you don't actually end up at Stack Overflow and you end up at the Elixir form instead, which I think is significant because I don't see that in any <laughs> other language I work with. There is no single place that you will end up while looking for Python things or uh, JavaScript things that's as central as Elixir form is to Elixir. And I, I wonder if that's a function of being a smaller, a smaller like uh, language and community still, or if it's just that the weight really has shifted that far into the forum, or if it's, if it's a matter of statistical significance sort of. Yeah, I think I wonder too, like some of it, in my opinion, is it's still like such a new and growing community and so much of the ecosystem is still new and growing. So one of the things that I really love and have found helpful time and again about Elixir Forum is that you get people that are actively working either on the frameworks or, you know, libraries that you're trying to work with, promoting their work, discussing it and really engaging with the community on it. So, oh, I do have a pick that I'll mention later. So published this morning a blog post on Elixir School about working with this package that I came across called Context. So Context without the T, uh, which is like a server-side SVG charting library in Elixir. And I think we're going to pull it in. We're planning to currently pull it in and use it for some of the examples in the live view book. And I was kind of looking around, like there aren't a ton of options for server-side rendering SVG charts in Elixir. Came across this one, like seemed pretty good. Wasn't totally sure if I knew what I was doing. 
you know, the documentation could probably use a little love, came across the conversation on Elixir Forum where the people that worked on it and are promoting it were, you know, answering questions and engaging with the community and talking about the goals of the project and how to leverage it, you know, the right way in their opinion. And that's something that I've never come across on like Stack Overflow, right? So I really enjoyed that. We just have to find some way now of copying all of our questions on Elixir Forum to Stack Overflow. So we get those uh, those yearly survey bumps and uh, and points. That's true. Yeah, we do want the point. We do want to show up (laughs) higher up in the survey. Very true. But I think something else that I found challenging about components, but now I'm kind of rethinking it based on something that you said, Feather. So you kind of said that if you're coming from React, the sort of component pattern feels familiar to you. And I, I think that's right, because one of the things that I've found challenging about working with components is that I'll want to have a component update in response to like something happening over PubSub, right? Maybe broadcast a message from somewhere else in your app, or you're working with like presence, Phoenix presence, and you want to track like a user join or a leave event. And I'll be frustrated because I'll want to implement a handle info in the component, but you can't because it's in the same process as the parent live view. So like, how is the process going to know like which <laughs> module you're targeting? So you kind of like, you subscribe your parent to a topic, let's say, and the parent live view is going to tell the component to update. And to me, of course, that sort of feels like the data down actions up sort of philosophy of at least Redux, which is like what I'm the most familiar with in React. So what at first felt challenging, I, I'm now rethinking from the framework of like a, a pretty common UI pattern. Yeah. In React, you have a similar thing where you have kind of dumb components and smart components. Sounds like a really judgy way to say it now that I'm mentioning it, but that, that, was, that kind of pattern was really familiar to me because I was mostly working in the code base for going to, to get through, I was working in a code base that was all functional components all the time. <laughs> so basically, all of our components were basically just, they, none of them really had their own state. And so you're sort of used to that pattern. I guess it's one of those things that you just kind of recognize maybe immediately. <laughs> yeah, and I think one of the things that I, I really like about live view components is that although they might be like receiving an update, let's say from a parent, like the responsibility of managing the state of the component very much is still located in your stateful component. And I think that that's something that's like, the framework doesn't necessarily enforce that, right? You could do a lot of state management of data that's going to get passed to a child component, like in that parent live view, but I think you shouldn't. And you're set up to be able to manage the internal state of the component in that component and just have the parent like tell the child that it's time to do something or something has happened. And I think, yeah, like I said, it's not, you don't have to do it that way, but I think you should. Yeah. I think listing state up is sort of a natural reflex when you come from React. Generally, I think it's it's a really good pattern. That's one of the reasons I never really liked Redux because I felt like it sort of made people get lazy about state. So instead of kind of like thinking about your state almost like public transportation, like keep it keep it close to the source, you know, or don't don't make it travel so far. It it kind of got you into these weird, you know, handling state in weird places kind of patterns. And once you, you know, once you kind of start chucking everything into the store and a React application, then your application just gets slower and slower and slower. Um, and so it's really nice that you don't, in a live view app, you don't necessarily need to worry about that aspect of it. It's kind of just, it's just not going to let you sort of make some of the big mistakes that you can make when there's more flexibility, I guess. So I'm curious from the operational standpoint, you mentioned that you guys are transitioning from Ember slash React to live view on the front end. Have you come across any kinds of like limits or any kinds of like thresholds with live view where like, you know, I, you, you have to scale this in different ways, any kinds of those problems, or is it kind of, you know, you throw as much traffic as you want at the app and it handles it gracefully. Yeah. It's interesting you say that. So I actually haven't done as much rewriting as I'd like because we just haven't been in a position to be able to do that sort of since I've been there, we've been kind of gearing up 
for the election. But I have gotten to rewrite one app, one page that was a React page in LiveView, <laughs> and it mostly went pretty well. The page actually works and looks a lot better. I'm kind of hoping to do, there's a kind of a whole wizard that I want to do. I mean, everybody loves wizards, right? But <laughs> I think that the one of the challenges was sort of figuring out how to load a lot of different related data in an efficient way. And kind of, I think you, you get this, it's like a similar thing to, to Rails where you have this kind of data abstraction layer on top of your data. And so it, the application is kind of making queries based on what it thinks is a good idea, based on what you're telling it. But you have to really kind of look at the server and what the server is doing and make sure that, that that isn't creating this kind of like, you know, a whole series of queries and instead you're doing a query that's more efficient. So we kind of just had to do a little bit more of like poking around, making sure that that was done right. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Make, making sure all your Ecto preloads are set up properly and uh, <laughs> no N plus ones. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's something I've come across in uh, like on Hacker News is like a concern for LiveView, where it's like if you know if your app is getting a lot of traffic, you run into a scenario where you could have too many processes running around. But I think this is more of like I don't know, like a false alarm, given that the beam is really well suited for you know tons and tons of tiny processes. So I'm I'm curious if anyone's like pushed the boundaries of a LiveView app for like a really high traffic app and it's worked perfectly. So we can use that as a case study to kind of uh, dispel that myth. Yeah, we're getting a crazy amount of traffic right now, and so far it's fine. So myth, myth dispelled, great. Yeah. I'm wondering if you found like any of LiveView's specific tooling, I don't know if tooling is the right word, to be helpful when it comes to like some of these scaling and loading problems. Like I'm thinking of temporary assigns, for example, to kind of keep what you're storing in socket state like a little bit more lightweight. Have you guys reached for any of those solutions? I don't think we really needed to, honestly. Maybe, I mean, we, we've sort of got, we've got part of, what we're doing in LiveView, but we, I think there's going to be a lot more of that when we get more of the meat of our app that's currently in React rewritten in LiveView. So I look forward to investigating further. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, very cool. I mean, undertaking any kind of rewrite is always like kind of a battle, even just first and like sort of convincing that work to get resource and schedule. Was, yeah. Did LiveView sort of help you guys make a case? Like, okay, it's more productive and it's going to be quick and these are all these wins. Like, I feel like, you know, I'm sure many of us have fought so many losing battles to argue for refactors and rewrites. So I'm wondering if LiveView helped in any particular way. Yeah, the, the desire is there. It's just the timing. So the thing that I want to do is build sort of our own little library of in-house reusable components and then kind of pushing for that. So far we have we have a few that we've that have been written, which I think is going to really help us as we do a lot more of this rewriting. But the there just hasn't been the time right now. We're just I mean all of us are just slammed right now. There's just no time for anything other than what we're what we're doing. <laughs> but as soon as we have a little bit more kind of space in our schedules, this is definitely going to be a priority. So the buy-in is there. It's just I think it's just the time. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I got our designers really excited about it because things have been, it's been harder to have a lot of consistency across our app because there's all these different kind of frameworks going on. <laughs> and I think once we start sort of using more live components and we get things all sort of under one umbrella, our app is going to be a lot more consistent and just feel a lot more kind of smooth. So I'm excited about that. Are the designers excited by the prospect of perhaps more real-time feedback to the apps? Like, have the designers felt, you know, like some handcuffs removed that, you know, 
counters or uh, or components can be updated in real time across all users, given that uh, you know, we have PubSub and Presence available to us in Elixir? Actually, yeah, it's interesting that you say that because this was one of the reasons that I was able to rewrite one of our significant pages because we we just needed WebSocket and we needed that real-time feedback. And that was really the only way to get it. We just couldn't really do it with the, the React app. So yeah, designers are very excited about that. It just, it opens up a lot of kind of possibilities when you can give your users real-time updates and feedback based on what they're doing. And I think that's just one of the things for me that's really exciting about LiveView is that like that's one of the things I loved about ArcJS, but you can do it in LiveView without adding an extra library and a whole bunch of extra kind of layers of complexity to your app. So pretty neat. Yeah, I won't I won't touch that last bit about the extra layers of complexity, but I can I can definitely definitely agree with it. yeah, there's definitely definitely a learning curve there. Angular a couple of years ago. I don't know if it's changed since then, but yeah. And it's funny because I've never actually used it within Angular. <laughs> I used it with React and just built things with it kind of independently just in plain old JavaScript. Yeah, it's definitely, it's come a long ways. It's actually much better now than, like I think in the beginning when I first started learning about it, it was pretty pretty steep learning curve. <laughs> it's, it's gotten a lot better, but it's just nice not having to even use something like that. I also, one of the other things I love about, about sort of live view is the testing story. And uh, particularly when you're trying to use ArcGIS and the React app, the testing story is a little funky. And I just love writing tests in Elixir. It's so much easier than writing tests in JavaScript. And I mean, I think that testing in JavaScript has really come a long ways and it's so much better than it used to be. But it's still, when you compare, it's there's just nothing that compares to writing tests in Elixir. It's so much better. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And the fact that you don't need to set up any additional tooling to run what are effectively browser tests is a huge win because now you no longer need to set up like, you know, Cypress or have any like headless containers running tests. And like it, it, it eliminates, you know, weeks of, of effort of setting up, you know, browser tests. I mean, granted, they're not one-to-one correlations with browser tests. Uh, what does LiveView use under the hood for tests? Is it Floki, if I recall correctly? Yeah, it's Floki. Yeah, but I mean, the fact that you get like I'd say 99% of the way there with none of the none of the effort involved is a, is a huge win. Yeah, agreed. I think like what we're really hearing, especially hearing you say like, okay, well, our designers are really excited about this. Like, yes, of course the business wants real time. Like I think Elixir for a while and especially with Phoenix and especially, especially with LiveView, like it just makes it so easy for developers to deliver business requirements, you know, quickly, easily, productively. And I think that one of the themes that I feel like I'm kind of seeing emerge more and more from the Elixir community is that this this is the tool for, for teams to use to meet the needs and requirements of our businesses in a way that kind of makes everybody happy, like quickly and easily. And that's, I mean, that's just huge. I think we're kind of on the cusp of like pretty big expansion on Elixir adoption. I hope so. I really do. And- <laughs> I've come from kind of consulting background, so I still firmly believe, you know, right tool for the job sometimes. Sometimes there's just like right tool for the job, you know, and I, so I don't ever feel like I'm 100% sort of like, this is the way, but but I think it's a really good solution for a lot of things. Um, and it certainly can't be beat in terms of developer experience. I'm a huge fan, and I would love to see more wide adoption for sure. I definitely agree with that. It's 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 a right tool for many jobs, and especially as the ecosystem is evolving, and you know we're getting more libraries and more tools. You know, with, with community backing, it's 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 definitely uh, expanding its reach in terms of what it's applicable for, and it provides you tons of escape hatches. So, I mean, the Beamix, you know, no excuses. It says, you know, if you need something CPU intensive, 
you know, pick another language, but it gives you the tools to easily pull in those other, you know, binaries or languages into the beam itself. So you get around the mic from there and you effectively get the, the benefits of a, a natively compiled language right inside the beam minus, you know, some minor overhead for, for context switching. So I definitely like the fact that it gives you a ton of tools and where it, it falls short, it gives you the, the tools to kind of escape out, use the right tool there. That, that's actually a really good point. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Like live view hooks are kind of, cool because you have this kind of like if you still really just need to reach for javascript you have this ability to do that so it doesn't it, there's like a fair amount of opinionated framework going on but it, it's not it doesn't feel like you're being limited in the same way that i felt like i was being limited in um some of the other more opinionated framework that's one of the reasons i never really was attracted to angular i was kind of like now that just seems like too much that's too much opinionated framework for me. <laughs> Plus, I was a Java developer a long, long time ago, and I just kind of, yeah, ran away from that. So, <laughs> I'm glad to hear that my story is not unique from Java and Angular. So, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that. I'm sure there's a lot of escapees. <laughs> yeah. So I've been looking at the Storybook JS thing, and since I haven't been working with React or and only a little bit with you and uh, like the modern front end isn't where I spend most of my time. How you, do you ha all have any opinions on this Storybook JS thing? It seems very neat and I wonder how hard it would be to make Live View work with it because they, they do support like React View, Angular, uh, all the things already. Uh, so I'm guessing you could hook into it in some sane way. And I think that would be a pretty neat thing. It's interesting you mentioned that. So one of the things I was doing before I left NVIDIA was building a component library in React. But instead of using Storybook, I was actually creating kind of a custom solution that had a uh, sort of its own little mounting system where you can mount, mount components and kind of have a playground um, to play with them. And one of the reasons is that I didn't really think that Storybook sort of UI was, it didn't feel kind of as polished as I wanted. I wanted something that kind of felt more like a book. <laughs> that had like nice HTML documentation explaining each component and then sort of like a little playground. So I built kind of a custom thing for that. But I think Storybook has really wide adoption in the React community and a lot of people really love it. And it's definitely a, a good way to get up and going really quickly with a component library. And it would be interesting to see something like that for, for live components. I agree. Yeah, since I'm not that deep on, uh, on components either in React or LiveView currently, um, I'm not sure if there's like a giant impotence mismatch and like capabilities and what these things do, but I get the idea that with all the different frameworks and approaches that Storybook seems to have implementations for, it seems like it wouldn't be unlikely. Like it seems likely that LiveView could could work, and I imagine that would help help a lot of people with with like bringing LiveView closer to. And designers and making it more approachable, easier to show off, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's a good point. Do it uh, better. Yeah, it'd be cool to see a live version of Storybook. Maybe a because if you're if you're going to build a Storybook app, you're still kind of like managing a JavaScript-based app, <laughs> like a code base that's written in JavaScript. It'd be cool to have something like that written in in LiveView that sort of gave you a, some documentation and a, like a little playground for all of your components. Maybe um, maybe that's something one of us should build. <laughs> I'm too busy right now, but maybe maybe yeah. just take a <laughs> I also really want to build FarmBot. I'm excited about that. That's cool. I was really excited to learn that FarmBot is using Nerves and 
I was thinking, wow, that would be so cool as a gardener to be able to build your own sort of farm bots, you know, to take care of your, your plants for you and stuff. Yeah, they seem super neat. And as far as I know, all of the specs and everything is open source. So you should be able to just do it or you can actually buy a kit and just set it up. That Built is so with nerves cool. and elixir and all that, all that good stuff. Yeah. One of the biggest pain points that I find as I talk to people about software is deployment. It's really interesting to have the conversations with people where it's, I don't want to deal with Docker. I don't want to deal with Kubernetes. I don't want to deal with setting up servers. I don't, you know, all of these different things. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has gotten a lot easier. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has also kind of embraced a certain amount of culture around applications, the way we build them, the way we deploy them. And I've really felt for a long time that developers need to have the conversations with DevOps or adopt some form of DevOps so that they can take control of what they're doing and really understand when things go to production, what's going on, so that they can help debug the issues and fix the issues and find the issues when they go wrong and help streamline things and make things better and slicker and easier so that they'll more generally go right. So we started a podcast called Adventures in DevOps. And I pulled in one of the hosts from one of my favorite DevOps shows, Nell Shamrell Harrington from the Food Fight Show. And we got things rolling there. And so this is more or less a continuation of the Food Fight Show where we're talking about the things that go into DevOps. So if you're struggling with any of these operational type things, then definitely check out Adventures in DevOps. And you can find it at adventuresindevopspodcast.com. Well, on that note, let's transition into picks for the episode. We'll just kind of round robin. And if anyone has any suggestions or recommendations for our audience, it looks like you might have some for us, Lars. Yeah, but I'm still wondering, like, did you bail on the goat question? I know you had a goat question. Oh my God, the goat question. That's right. Okay, no, we're definitely talking about goats. Am I remembering this right, Feather? Did you recently acquire a bunch of goats? I have not yet acquired goats. Oh, you were planning to acquire. I aspire, to acquire. acquired acquiring right. goats. But right now I'm hesitating between goats and sheep. That's a good one. Or maybe both. I saw, I feel like I mentioned this last time we talked, but there's like a a farm that has a farmer's market near me and we take the dog there sometimes and it's a goat farm. And he historically has really loved the goats. He's like low-key, very happy to see them. But then this past weekend we went and he just made a series of sounds that I've honestly never heard in nature before. And I'm still trying to decide if they were like happy or terror, but something has really changed for him and this relationship to goats. So it's getting a little weird. Oh, funny but uh good luck with your eventual livestock plans and i hope that you end up making the right decision for you thank you it sounds like very good personal slogan like i aspire to goats or she or she yeah okay so my pick to get back on track was that the nerves keyboard people we had christo say i believe his name is pronounced on the show a good while back and he, he and the gang is working on uh, making a keyboard, mechanical keyboard, run on nerves. And they have development boards now, actual physical objects. And you can see pictures of them and follow the work and the nerves keyboard channel on the Elixir line Slack. So I recommend that. It's very exciting to see. Lots of cables, lots of soldering. <laughs> that sounds really cool. <laughs> yeah, that does sound cool. Thank you for that. Let's see, Alex, any picks for yeah, sure. I got two picks. So I actually pick uh, Surface, which was mentioned uh, earlier. 
I'm trying to see. I don't know if they have any real, you know, stable releases, but it looks super interesting. Oh, so they're in release candidate zero here. But yeah, it looks super interesting. I'll probably be playing around with it uh, in the coming weeks. So that's one of my picks. And my other pick I actually stole from Hacker News this morning. It's called the uh, OptiPlanner. It's a uh, Java project, but it's used for uh, constraint solving. So if you have like an NP, NP complete problem, you need to find a good solution for it, but you don't want to brute force all the possible solutions. Apparently OptiPlanner will help you find a good solution. So it's like for bin packing, vehicle routing, scheduling, stuff like that. So I just need to find a good way to work with that from Elixir and I'll be hunky-dory. That's very cool. Um, yeah, keep us posted on working with those. Got a couple picks for us today. I thought I had none, and in fact, I have three. So, blog post that I published this morning on Elixir School on working with SVG charts and live view with the context library. Um, I'm really excited about this post just because, first of all, it was so cool to do sort of the visual work of drawing these charts, but have it all happen server side and have to not write any SVG myself, which, like, I'm frankly not capable of doing. And two, we're using it to kind of tease and touch on some of the topics that we'll cover in greater depth in the live view book. So, I would love for folks to check that out. What else? So, the Hudson Valley is more or less drowning in pumpkins right now. I personally have several pumpkins in my home. A friend of mine nearby has, I asked her to count 16 pumpkins that she's acquired, which is, I guess, a little insane. But you can, in fact, just like roast and eat pumpkins. So I haven't tried it yet, but I'm going to try out this recipe this week. It's like a Martha Stewart recipe. You just take a small pumpkin, cut it in half, put it in the oven. We'll see what happens. And then on a similarly, I guess, like autumn or Halloween topic, I'm almost done watching all of, because I watched it so fast, The Haunting of Bly Manor on Netflix, which is like next season of Haunting of Hill House. This time they're taking on an interpretation <gasps> the turn of the screw. And it's so good. It's great. I really love what they did. And it was perfect because oh I like God. didn't remember enough of Turn of the Screw to like actually understand what was happening. So all the reveals like hit me really hard. And it's just great. If you like horror, this is just like it's very atmospheric. It's not a ton of jump scares, which I, I like. So I recommend it. And with that, I will hand it over to Feather. If you have any suggestions or recommendations for us. I'm definitely gonna check out the I love anything having to do with ghosts or yep, same kind of slightly scary. Yeah. But same, I hate being like shocked. But mm -hmm. you know, spooked. I love being. I like, I like a slow um, burn of spookiness, and it really hits that spot. Actually, that so I have a couple picks. One is fall foliage. I know you know software developers. We don't like to go outside very much, but it's a really beautiful time of year if you live anywhere where leaves are changing. So I'm just I love aspens, and there's a bunch of them around me, and I'm really excited about that. Also, another pick I have is the Spooked podcast. If you're into spooky stories. This is an amazing podcast, and the, um, the thing I love—it's so good. The thing I love the most about it is the music and the sound production is just really, really well done. And another pick I have is pumpkin chutney. So it's a—it's okay. kind of a spicy, sweet. If you do it right, it tastes like Christmas. It's really good. Yeah. So you just like chop up your pumpkin and roast it with some spices. I like to use like chai spices. And there's a lot of recipes online, but yeah, that. I made it last year because I grow pumpkins. I had way too many pumpkins. Oh, awesome. So, but. This is great. I feel like your picks are specifically geared towards my life right now, and I really appreciate that. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us, Feather. This was such a fun conversation. I encourage all of our readers to check out these excellent picks, and see you guys next time. Thanks for having me. All right, bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.